Um, good morning, happy Monday. I just want to tell you guys, you're doing great. I know you have a lot coming up the next couple of weeks before fall break. Um, a lot, yeah, some groans from the front row. Um, but you guys are doing great. Hang in there. Um, it has been so fun to be together. It has been so fun to meet some of you this, this semester, to see how God is at work in this place, to hear of your friendships, to hear of your growth, to hear what you're learning in your classes. Um, you're doing great. But I am thankful for this time. I just, I know you have a lot going on. I have a lot going on. I just want us to sort of take a deep breath and let's just settle in to what Jesus has for us today for the next couple of minutes. Um, so my husband and I have been married for almost 14 years. Um, thank you. That's right. I know, I know some of you are like trying to do the math and you're like, was she like 16 when she got married, right? Because I look so young. Um, but almost, almost 14 years ago, we celebrated our honeymoon in an all-inclusive resort in Jamaica. And for those of, I know, right? Posh. Um, so for those of you who don't know what an all-inclusive resort is, it's pretty self-explanatory. An all-inclusive resort means that you pay one fee at the beginning, and then as soon as you step onto the property, like, everything's included. Um, all the food you could want. There were, like, five or six restaurants um, on the property, all the snacks, drinks, like everything was included. And so we step onto the property and the, whoa, let there be light. Um, we step onto our, like one of our nights in our home, we were like, hey, let's check out this French restaurant that was on, on the resort. And so we go to the French restaurant and we start perusing the, the menu and the waitress comes up to take our order and she says, okay, can I, what can I get for y'all? And we have this conversation in front of her where I'm like, hey, do you want to like get that appetizer and then we could get different entrees so that we could split them and like taste each other's and then maybe we could split a dessert afterwards? What do you think? And the waitress looks at us and she's like, y'all could literally get all the appetizers and all the desserts and all the entrees. This is an all-inclusive place. So my husband and I were like, we laughed and we realized, we're like, oh my gosh, yes. And so we ordered copious amounts of food and it was delicious. See, we were poor seminary students. We got married um, during my husband's last year of seminary. We were used to living on a shoestring budget. We rarely spent money on extravagant things. And this gift, this honeymoon was a gift from Gustavo's parents. But even though we were there and it had all been paid for on someone else's dime, we were living as if we had limited resources. Um, and if it hadn't been for that waitress, we would have missed out on some pretty incredible food. And I was thinking about that because I think we do this spiritually as well. I think we tend to go through our daily existence like we are, we are on a shoestring budget of grace. We walk through our weeks rationing our strength and hoarding our abilities. We work really hard to conserve ourselves. We get enamored with false gods and pro that promise comfort or security. We give our love to lesser things. We go to church, which is good. That's good. We feel maybe temporarily convicted about our sin, which is also good. But then Monday rolls around and we find ourselves falling back into the same habits, and the same temptations, maybe the same sort of feeling of meh. We forget that we are part of a very real, a very grand and very alive and vibrant story. 
but it doesn't have to be this way. God is inviting you and he is inviting me into a life that moves us beyond mere behavior modification. He is inviting us into a sweet relationship with himself to such a degree that our deepest longings and our most sincere desires are fulfilled. He has made a way for us to experience life fully. In fact, Jesus said that's why he came. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said he came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. So then, the question is, how do we live into the story that God has drawn us into? How do we access the abundance that's ours? How do we, to use the story I I mentioned a minute ago, how do we live into the all-inclusive resort that we are a part of? And there are lots of things to say about this, and there are a lot of people who have said this really well. But I'm just going to, I've been sitting in 1 John, and I think it's a great place to start. So we are going to look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. All right, so three quick points, because we're at a Presbyterian college that helps us unpack how we live into the abundance that's ours, okay? Three quick points, see, receive, and remember. So first, we are encouraged to see, to see specifically the love of God. The word here has the idea of beholding or perceiving or even staring at, to see properly or to perceive with spiritual eyes. The call to see or to behold things for how they really are, it's reverberating throughout scripture. Psalm 34, 8 beckons us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 66, 5 invites God's people to come and see what God has done. Psalm 119 is a prayer for the Lord to open our eyes so that we can behold wonderful things from his law. All of these indicate that experiencing the fullness of God begins with spiritual sight. In fact, the biblical narrative indicates that part of our distress and our anxiety, maybe our worry, our fight against sin, results from the fact that we do not see properly. The people of Israel described as people who keep on hearing but do not understand and keep on seeing but do not perceive. I feel like that's pretty accurate of at least my heart a lot of the time. So in this passage in 1 John 1, we are, encouraged, we are encouraged to look. John says, see, almost as if we're like beckoned to literally lift our gaze. And this is helpful in imagery because we are so focused to, we are so tempted to focus our gaze inward on ourselves, on our own feelings, on our own problems. In fact, there's a lot of voices all around us that encourage us to do just that. Look inside yourself to find solutions. But listen, the word of God is calling us to something much bigger and much different. It is calling us to look outside of ourselves for solution, to behold the love of God. The thing is, we're just not great at beholding in general. But children are really helpful teachers here. If you have never gone on a walk with a young child, do so as soon as possible. I'm sure Jay would be happy to walk with you. 
They will teach you how to behold. They will teach you how to see. They will teach you how, when they're walking, they will stop. And they will, they'll stop about 10 billion times to point out different things, right? Like the red leaf that has fallen on the ground and how it's so red and it has veins in it. Or they'll stop and they'll point at the bird that's perched up in the tree. Or at the ants that are scurrying around carrying dirt and crumbs. They'll stop to look at a blade of grass. And we learn from them that to see means a couple of things. It means we need to slow down. And it means we need to have a little bit of imagination and creativity. If we use our sanctified imagination, we will see how all of creation screams, not just the majesty of God, but his love as well. We will be able to maybe imagine the triune God eternally relating in perfect love, delight, and abundance, swirling and dancing before there was anything, so much so that that love spilled over to create what we see all around us. We would be able to imagine God's overflowing, bountiful love into the, in the way that he made the trees and the oceans and the caterpillars and the giraffes, which happens to be my personal favorite. We would allow our mind's eye to see the utter joy and exhilaration as the Father, Son, and Spirit designed and created color and texture and taste and smells. And we would be able to understand the immense love displayed in the creation of us, his image bearers, beautifully diverse in our skin color, in our hair, in our cultures, in our languages, in our maleness, and in our femaleness. And with this imagination, we would see God's love. We would behold the utter and abundant delight of God. And we would realize that every beautiful and good part of creation is a tangible and physical display of Trinitarian love. That's fullness. But even more than that, Jesus told his friends that whoever sees him sees the one who sent him. In other words, if we want to get a glimpse into the immeasurable love of God, we must look at Jesus. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God, like the idea of a, a fingerprint. If we want to truly behold and perceive or see God's love, we look at Jesus, right? And we re look at the word made flesh by reading the word. We see how he loves and where he goes and how he demonstrates compassion. We pay attention to the things that he cares about and the words that he says. Jesus is the most complete and beautiful picture of God's love. When we see him for who he has revealed himself to be, we experience God's abundant love and life. Which brings me to my next point. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Another way that we live into the life of fullness that God has offered to us is to simply receive. God's gracious, abundant, never-ending love is most fundamentally a gift. We are loved by a God who gives. 
and his heart is generous. He's a giving God. In fact, I think you could almost boil down the entire biblical narrative into a story about a God who gives, right? He gave Adam and Eve every plant to eat in the garden. He gave Abraham offspring when he was 100 years old. He gave Abraham's descendants freedom after 400 years of slavery. He gave the people of Israel manna and quail in the desert. He gave them water from a rock. He gave them a day to rest. Then he gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. God gave them a way forward as a community by giving them the law. And then he gave them a way to deal with their sin when, he, when they did not keep it. He gave them priests to intercede for them, judges to call them to repentance, and then kings to lead them in the way of God. And then when they still didn't listen, God gave them prophets to help them hear. All along the way, God has revealed himself as a God who gives. And all along the way, God's people have demonstrated themselves to be people who reject his good gifts for lesser things. Eve, she didn't want all the other fruit that had been given to her. She wanted the one that was forbidden. The people of Israel, they did not want a manna and quail that rained from heaven. They wanted food they ate in captivity. The people of Israel did not want God to be their gracious king. They wanted kings like all the other nations. God, the pattern is impossible to miss throughout scripture. God gave and his people rejected. You would think, I would think, that God's giving spirit would sort of have hit its limit, right? But then we read in John 3.16 something that is shocking to us. We know this verse, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God as giver is most fully realized in Jesus. In the giving of his one and only son, we most fully understand God's love. And we are invited to receive it, to receive Jesus in faith so that we can live with our God who gives forever. We know this. I'm willing to bet money that most of us had this verse memorized before we even understood it, right? And yet, like Eve and like the Israelites and like the people of God throughout history, we miss the immensity of this gift because we are so focused on lesser things. We would rather kind of wrestle our own way through life than receive the things that God has given us. Or we would like to focus on the things that we don't have instead of focusing on the ways that God has abundantly given to us. We would rather live out of scarcity than abundance. Um, it's like a pinata at a birthday party. Has anyone ever had a pinata at their birthday party? Okay, I don't know who thought this was a great idea for kids' birthday parties, because we know what happens, right? One kid is blindfolded, and they try to smack the living daylights out of a pinata while all the other kids are standing on the side waiting, right? And then what happens when the pinata breaks? All chaos breaks loose, right? You have kids on the floor diving for candy, and you have other kids pushing all the kids out of the way, and everyone is scrambling for candy, and they come back with maybe like, what, five to ten pieces of candy, right? Here's the thing. You can quote me on this. God's love is not like a pinata. You do not have to scramble and scrape together pieces of God's love from the floor, 
He has already given you an immeasurable, an infinite amount of love. Why? Because he is love and giving is his heart. He is a giving God. And he has given absolutely everything to us because he's given us his very son. And through Jesus, we now have access to the fullness of God's love. Okay, so what does this actually mean for us as we walk out of here today? It means that even in the places where you experience lack, the disappointments, the unmet expectations, the very real physical and emotional um, suffering that you're going through, even there, you can experience God as the God who gives. God is giving to you because he is giving himself to you. He has given you his presence by making a way through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he has given you his presence because he has given you the Holy Spirit who now indwells you. Even in our saddest and our hardest and our loneliest moments, God gives to us because he gives himself. Our response is simply to receive. When you are thirsty, just come to him for living water. When you are hungry, just come to him for the bread of life. When you are naked, come to him for the clothing of Christ's righteousness. You are loved by the God who gives. Which brings us to our last point. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we are encouraged to look around, right, to gaze, to raise our gaze and to behold the love of God, which he has so freely given to us. And I think this love is perhaps most regularly and clearly experienced in the family of God. The kind of love that the Father has given to us is familial love. It is powerfully adoptive. We were far off and we were brought near. We were enemies and now we are friends. We were orphans and prodigals and now we are children of God and heirs together with Jesus. God's love for us is the love of a father We are called children of God because that is who we are to our very core. And the reason we are that to our very core is because God is father to his very core. The love that God has given to us, he has given to us as a father gives to his precious children. And this means a number of things. I know you know this, right? It means one, that God knows you. Psalm 139 puts it this way, or, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down on our, and my lying down are acquainted, you are acquainted with all of my ways. He actually knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what you get excited about. He knows what scares you. He knows what makes you laugh but he also loves you. 
To be fully known and fully loved is at the heart of, I would say, almost every single human longing. And you are both fully known and fully loved. You will never do anything to weaken your Heavenly Father's love for you. In fact, it is when we are most desperate and needy that his heart is most bent toward us. He does not get annoyed with us. He does not roll his eyes at us. He, is always, he always has time for us. You have access to him at all times. Timothy Keller put it like this, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Again, none of this is new, right? We know this. We hear this on a pretty regular basis. Our problem is rarely lack of knowledge. Most of our crises arise because we forget. We are forgetful. We forget that we are children of God. And so part of living into the abundant life that God has made available to us, that God has invited us into, is simply to remember. Remember that we are called children of God because that is what we are. That is why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Finally, it's my last thing, being part of a family involves siblings. Look around. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are siblings. I have three kids. I get this. Siblings fight. Sure, it's part of the deal, right? But part of your job as siblings is to help each other remember the family that you belong to. Part of your job is to come alongside one another. When a brother or sister is struggling to see God's love, show them. When a sibling is struggling to receive the gifts of God's love, help them. And when a sibling is doubting the love of a father towards them, remind them. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See, receive, and remember. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you love us. And not only that you love us, but you have gone out of your way to tell us that. You've told us in the world we see around us. You've told us in the life of Jesus, your son, in his death, in his resurrection. You have showed us your love by sending the Holy Spirit. And you have given us your word. Lord, please give us eyes to see your love. Please help us to receive it as the gift that it is. And Lord, would you just please help us to remember what is true? We are so bombarded by lies. We need to remember what is true.
We need you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.